Welcome back to Crow and Fern's Guide to Weird Fiction, Folklore, Mythology, and Everything in Between, where I, Fern, talk about folklore and mythology, and Crow, what do you talk about? Weird fiction and butt cheeks. She says that like it's a joke, but it's not. <laughs> nobody, it's not. nobody ever play the drinking game with how often Crow says butt cheeks because it could be. If you listened to my last episode on Dangerous Datura, you know what this episode is going to be about already, which is some other nightshades that I researched but didn't get to, like Belladonna and Henbane. I am kind of going through (laughs) the mythology of the nightshades. I've hit Mandrake a while back. Datura was my last one. And now with Henbane and Belladonna, it's going to be like most of the deadly ones, not quite all of them. Ooh. I put in like a huge warning when I did Detora about how dangerous nightshades are and how easy it is to like overdose and accidentally kill yourself with them. And that is, especially considering we're talking about Belladonna today, doubly, triply reinforce that warning. Like don't mess with any of the things that we're going to talk about today because they're all very dangerous. I agree with that. It is not a good death. Don't fucking do it. Talk to talk to your local emergency physician if they have time for you. Mm-hmm. Ask them what it looks like. Just do it for me. Oh, yeah. The accounts I read about fatal overdoses is it's pretty bad. No, you don't want to go this. And painful. Mm-hmm. It's very painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Correct. But they are very dangerous even to handle, especially belladonna. It can be absorbed through the skin. So if you see it on your property and you want to remove it, which would be the smart thing to do, either have a professional do it for you or at the very least wear gloves. You know, like you don't want to handle it and then absorb it through your skin and, and accidentally get into a bad place with it that way. I have one note about something that I saw since the last time that we recorded one of my episodes. Okay, don't make fun of me, but I <laughs> like to, I, I don't know, I'm part of a gardening subreddit because plants are cool. I like it. Her name is Fern. Yes. Someone was posting pictures of their tobacco plants in bloom, and I did a double take before I read it because I was like, who's posting Detora flowers? But it wasn't Detora. flowers it was the tobacco flowers they look so similar it's the like that white trumpet shape that you see with a lot of the detora species i could not believe how similar they looked but you know they are both nightshades so it does make sense they are related Oh my, I, I, oh, I'm looking it up. They look a lot like Detura. Versus Detura. Yeah. I just like how you recognize them. (laughs) Oh, I see it. But I see it because people are comparing them, not because I could recognize it. That is very cool that you recognize them. Well, I looked at a lot of Detura flowers (laughs) to get ready for this. (laughs) And there are a lot of different varieties and some different colors, but the most common is like that white trumpet shape. Anyway, we're not talking about Datura today, although there may be references. We're going to start with Atropa Belladonna, which, as far as the nightshades go, is the most poisonous one. It's the most dangerous one. In fact, it is considered one of the most deadly slash poisonous plants on the planet. Now, that list, it's kind of difficult to create an objective most poisonous list, so people don't really agree, but I saw Belladonna usually end up somewhere in the fourth or sixth spot on people's top 10 list. Interestingly, Detura did make like nine on some lists, so it is also <laughs> one of the extremely poisonous plants. Crow, do you have any yes. idea what the, the number one most poisonous plant is? No. What is it? No, I genuinely don't know. There is a little debate. Guinness World Records put it as the castor bean plant, but a lot of people disagree with that. In fact, a lot of people put belladonna above castor beans. The most poisonous by itself, I th- a lot of people seem to agree, would be oleander. Oh, that sounds like a really nice name. I would name something oleander. 
the flowers are lovely, but they're so poisonous that people have died from eating the honey that bees made from the flowers. So it's it's a pretty bad one. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I heard there was this whole show. It was like a series. It's an Arabic series. And it was about a dude who, who was making honey out of, I can't even remember, was it like opium plants? So it was like heroin-infused honey. And I kept wondering, would that even work? No. I just can't picture it. Like the pollen and then getting turned into honey and then there's still poison in it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it sure is. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Sorry. Belladonna is a plant that is used so much I could make an episode all about it except for most of that episode would be about like poisoning people <laughs> because that is one of the more common uses of belladonna unfortunately historically and when we talk just about the mythology especially the mythology that people survive it does kind of whittle it down a little bit <laughs> Okay, okay. It is, like I said, it is an extremely dangerous plant. When we did the Detora one, I read some experiences that other people had had with Detora, like some of their highs, their nightmare delusions that they experienced. And while Belladonna can definitely create hallucinations that are very, very vivid, people are far less likely to experiment with it for good reason. <laughs> the line between... What makes you have vivid hallucinations with Belladonna and what flat out kills you can be very thin. And Belladonna, like all of the other nightshades that we've talked about, all of the really poisonous ones anyway, suffers from the same problem that we talked about with Mandrake and with Datora and with other poisonous nightshades as well, in that the amount of poison in the plant varies tremendously from one plant to another and it can be based on like how old the plant is what kind of soil it's growing in what time of year it is a whole bunch of different things can affect that where sometimes it will be like not as bad and sometimes it will be extremely dangerous and you don't know what you're getting yeah in fact there are recorded deaths of people dying from consuming so much so little i should say as a single leaf of belladonna i mean it's one of the most popular medieval poisons isn't it like from the yeah. 1400s all the way up to the 1617 yeah for sure it's been used uh, it was used by the romans as a poison and um, very popular <laughs> with the italians as a poison too okay the pop the famous people who used it as a poison or may have they were rumored to have used it as a poison no, I was going to talk more about the folklore of it, less of the poisony aspect of it. Okay. But if you have something you want to add, go for it. No, I was, ju I was just thinking of the... I'm going to fuck up their name, sorry. The Borgias, mm -hmm. the Italian family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Lucrezia, who used to apparently poison people. And there, it was rumored that she may have used Belladonna, I'm not sure if she actually did. Yeah, so as far as modern examples of like people sharing their trips and stuff like that, there's not a lot to be found because most people recognize how incredibly stupid it is to try and hallucinate on Belladonna. Yeah. The interesting thing about this is the site that I used to find people's experiences, they div divide it up and one of the sections that they have is like, positive experiences with a drug. I looked for that with Belladonna and there was literally not one positive experience recorded <laughs> with Belladonna. And it's very indicative of the kind of highs that nightshades give you. A lot of people think like, oh, the vivid hallucinations would be a cool experience. But across the board, especially like Belladonna, Datura, Mandrake, people do not enjoy the highs that they get. In fact, a lot of them talk about them as like nightmarish and traumatizing experiences, assuming they survive, you know? It's like everything about this plant is trying to tell you to stay the fuck away from it. It was the same thing with Datura, wasn't it? Uh -huh. People would get these nightmarish experiences and Fern told me stories behind the scenes after we were done recording because some of them were too disturbing to mention on the podcast. Uh -huh. So why? 
Why? And Belladonna is like the angry big sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Belladonna is definitely more dangerous than Datura. And so if you came away from the, my last episode thinking like, oh, Datura sounds like it will really fuck you up. I never want to do, deal with that. Just realize that you should feel about 10 times as strongly about Belladonna <laughs> because it's all it's so Good much worse. Yeah. There are many active ingredients in most of the nightshades. You know, they have like a variety of different things that are causing these effects. But the most important one in Belladonna is atropine. And it does actually okay, yeah. It does actually have some medicinal uses. It can be an antispasmodic to treat like epilepsy and intestinal colic. It can minimize tremors with Parkinson's. In fact, there are some ongoing studies right now about treating Parkinson's with belladonna. It can be used as a bronchial dilator to treat asthma and or a stimulant mm-hmm. for heart conditions. It's been analyzed as an antidote for some poisons. And in fact, it was used during the Gulf War to treat nerve gas poisoning. So this whole idea that we can take poisons and use them as medicine is fascinating. One thing that I've noticed is when you go really far back in history, it did play a pretty active role in a lot of different things. People were cautious about it, though, because, of course, it's always been very dangerous. But the closer you get to present times, the more you see it replaced with other things that are safer. (laughs) And that is kind of a recurring theme that... People keep recognizing that whatever we're using belladonna for, there's usually something safer and sometimes more effective, especially at this point, because atropine especially is just a very, very dangerous substance. But yeah, it has been used as pain relief. A lot of times it's used topically. It's it's safer topically than it is internally. And that is partially because the atropine doesn't really cross the skin barrier very well. <laughs> but we'll talk about that more with henbane because henbane, well, it has atropine it has quite a few other things in there as well. And so a lot of the uses that we just talked about are things that it's been historically used for. Mm -hmm. We do still use it in some modern things, but I would say don't try and do it yourself. Definitely don't. (laughs) Yeah. With modern medicine, they can get it very, very precise. So there is a certain amount of whatever it is from the plant that they want in there. And it is exactly that. It's a precise measured dose. And it's usually a very, very low dose. So you're not going to like experience the dangerous things. But there are still, (laughs) there are still some modern uses of it. When you think of belladonna and the way that it's been used Mm. in the past, most people have one specific thing that automatically comes to mind poison no oh wait 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 in non-lethal ways can i can i say yeah go ahead is it the thing where um it makes ladies cheeks red it does that too but there's something else that they used to do with it that was i think even more dangerous but a lot of people know about (laughs) and that was they made eye drops out of it oh yeah that's still something that we do it Except is. Except in a much more controlled way. Yes. I was going to call that out, actually. Like, if you've ever had your eyes dilated so that the doctor can look in there and make sure everything is okay, there's usually some belladonna in that. But like Crow said, it's a very small and precise amount. However, mm-hmm. people used to go a little bit ham with this. Obviously, it was a very diluted amount of belladonna in the eye drops. But again, how precise can you really be when you're using the actual plant but the the women would put the belladonna in their eyes and it was to make their eyes super dilated because it was apparently a soft and sexy look do you know why people thought it was sexy though (laughs) does your asexual ass know (laughs) no my asexual ass does not know (laughs) apparently apparently when you are aroused your pupils dilate a little bit and so, like, when the women would put that in their eyes, people referred to it as the come-hither look or, like, the bedroom look. <laughs> but but basically, it was to look aroused. Imagine being, like, high out of your mind and your eyes are just, like, you know, flying saucers. And people are like, oh, man, this person wants snoo-snoo time. And you're just, like, dying on the sidewalk. <laughs> 
Well, and you're blind because, like, your the eyes would get and you're blind. You, the eyes would get oh, yeah, so dilated that you really can't see properly. Like you're you're letting in so much light that you can't. You have very blurry vision. Like, oh, it just exactly <laughs> horrible, yes. horrible. Yes, it was also used in. It was one of the ingredients that was frequently used in dwell and other sleeping draughts and this was very dangerous because <laughs> belladonna okay nightshades in general the toxic ones are uppers right they're they're things that yeah. get you energized and you wander around until they reach the point where they just put you in a coma which is a downer <laughs> and so belladonna could okay. be used for that purpose it, it, it essentially was a sleep coma they would use it one most commonly prior to surgeries or you know if someone was in a lot of pain and they're like let's just get them out of the pain real quick which it was questionable questionable I tell you because it was very dangerous but also sometimes <laughs> sometimes it was just used to help people sleep which could be incredibly dangerous I'm not recommended at all however <laughs> the, you know it's gonna get intense when there's a however <laughs> there are some sleeping pills modern sleeping pills that still contain small doses of belladonna so there you go I did not know this, and I am not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> I didn't know that. Here, here's, okay, here you go. Here's a quiz time for you. Quiz time for Crow. No! See how you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Medical quiz time. So, belladonna used to be used in small quantities in teething toys for infants. Because it was supposed to, quote-unquote, Calm the fussy infant. Okay. Do you want to, Crow, guess just roughly when that practice stopped? You know what? I'm going to say something crazy. Was it in like the 80s? You are going to be even more disturbed because the FDA had to crack down on that in the 2010s. In 2010, Crow. Oh my god. <laughs> Babies were getting high off Belladonna till 2010. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Oh my god. FDA warns consumers about homeopathic teething products containing Belladonna. Oh no. You just Googled what it. What the hell? You just Googled it and found it, didn't I just you? I just Googled it. I was like, okay, I'm just going to guess 80s because, you know, that's when... All the crazy shit happened, but oh my god. Mm hmm 2010. Mm hmm Holy shit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, my mind is sufficiently blown. You have to remember, this is like babies. Babies have a much lower tolerance because they're just smaller human beings. I know. They're tiny. Yes. So let's get into some of the more mythological. So we know Belladonna can create hallucinations. Like Datora, they can be very vivid hallucinations. And so because of that, it has been used in multiple cultures as an incense to attract the dead. You will experience like the effects of Belladonna through inhaling the smoke, by the way, which is why they did that and why it made them see their ancestors. <laughs> you, you remember Datura was used this way as well. It, quote unquote, had the ability to help you talk with the dead because you were hallucinating that hard, basically. <laughs> okay, okay. It opens up your spirit to communication. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you hallucinate everything under the stars, then yes, you could potentially hallucinate <laughs> a dead relative. This is Fair. actually a very dangerous thing to do. You can absolutely suffer a fatal overdose inhaling the smoke. It's especially unsafe if you do it indoors, which for some reason people try. Do not do not do it, period. But if you are going to do it, especially don't do it indoors. Yeah, poison everyone in your household. Poison the kids, poison the dogs, poison everyone. Spread poison all over your walls through poison smoke. Oh yeah, poison your neighbors, you know, through the vents. Poison, what the fuck? Don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, so it is used to quote-unquote communicate with the underworld and also interestingly to consecrate weapons, which I guess makes sense because if you're spreading belladonna all over a weapon, that is going to make it more effective. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, oh god, okay. So Belladonna can be used to hallucinate, and it has been used to tell the future and to quote-unquote contact the dead. However, it was never the most popular nightshade for this because the difference between a dose that makes you hallucinate your dead uncle and a dose that sends you to meet him (laughs) straight away in the underworld is very fine. It is significantly riskier than Detora. Let's talk about the name Atropa Belladonna. Atropa? Yes. I don't know how well you know Greek mythology, Crow, but there are the three sister fates that determine the fate of every human being. And one of them, named Atropa, is the one that cuts the thread short, meaning determines when a person dies. She cuts the thread of life. In the Middle Ages, there was a belief that Belladonna would transform into a beautiful woman, and then she would come lure men into deadly situations. Now, this makes sense as part of the thing, because remember when we talked about the Torah, people would get high and they would feel the need to, like, move around because nightshades are uppers oh yeah nightshades make you want to go places but you're also hallucinating so do you remember we talked about how people would get into really dangerous situations because (laughs) it's that combination of being the upper that makes you want to move around but also like intense hallucinations and and so the idea that they believed that Belladonna would turn into a beautiful woman and lure men into death traps makes all sorts of sense. Okay, okay. And there was also a belief that it was a beloved plant by the devil. And in fact, there are lots of nicknames for Belladonna that include the devil. (laughs) And it said that he usually would guard the plant. So if you wanted to harvest it, you were supposed to harvest it on May Eve because that was the only day that he was not guarding it because he was busy. He's busy. So, like, what happens if you do try to harvest it when he's there? I think he probably just kicks your trash. Like my actual trash? My trash can? Maybe. It's under the sink. He can't get to it. I'm going to harvest Belladonna. So Belladonna, a lot of people are like, okay, that comes from the Italian beautiful lady. There is a a lesser-held belief that it comes from the Roman goddess Bellona because the priests of the goddess Bellona would drink an infusion before meditation and prayers to get visions. And they were not the only cult who did this. The cult of Hecate did this as well. And it is believed that Belladonna could have been one of the, the things that they consumed to get visions. Now, a very, very famous cult that you will definitely recognize is said to have used Belladonna. Do you want to guess? Jonestown. No, Is it's it? not. It's not actually. Damn it. It's one that's even more well-known than Jonestown. What the fuck? It is the Manson family. Oh, shit. How did they use Belladonna? Okay, so in court, Paul Watkins testified that Belladonna was used by the group. And this is a quote from him. He says, people call LSD a hallucinogen, but it is not anywhere near as hallucinogenic as Belladonna. I mean, you hallucinate so strongly that you completely lose touch with what you would call reality. In other words, if I were on Belladonna now, I wouldn't necessarily have to be seeing all these people in this courtroom and all of you. I may just be seeing some plum trees and the ocean and in another reality. That was his bad grammar, not mine. (laughs) Wow. That was from a court transcript. How the fuck did they get their hands on it? Wait for it, because I'll get to that at the end. But Watkins said that he became familiar with the plant while on a Hopi reservation. And he'd seen the plant growing also near the ranch where the Manson family was, right? And he said that... Charlie was pissed at some guy and asked him if he knew of any poisons they could use on the guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let me tell you about this Belladonna. And then he told Manson about it and people started using it also recreationally. And in fact, Tex Watson, who is a name you might know if you are familiar with this cult, because he was one of the worst ones, especially when you talk about actually committing the murders. He was one of the main killers, right? Prior to the murders, he was arrested for Belladonna intoxication. And there is a mugshot of him looking stoned and just like grinning with super dilated pupils. I'm going to look at it. (laughs) 
Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, and like Crow, actually, because Crow already called this out, like, how do you get a hold of Belladonna in the States? Because it, it really doesn't grow naturally here. It's more of an old world plant. When Paul Watkins was describing the plant, he described it as having white trumpet-shaped flowers. Now, if you've seen Belladonna, that's not what it looks like. <laughs> it has purple... Didn't you just say that was Datura? Yeah. I, I, I honestly think he got confused. I think this whole thing was actually about Datura. Because he basically described the white trumpet-shaped flowers is Datura. It's not the only thing that has white trumpet-shaped flowers. But when you talk about, like something that would mimic belladonna fairly closely and create these like extremely vivid hallucinations absolutely detura belladonna has small bell-shaped purple flowers that very deep black kind of berry by the way people for some reason when they see the berry if they don't know what it is they get curious and they want to try it 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 leads to some very dangerous situations it's kind of a a roundish berry it's black and it's very very shiny if you see something like that just don't touch it especially if you see purple bell-shaped flowers like just no no stay away yeah isn't that exactly why you shouldn't go out eating random berries yes because you could die Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. correct I did read, like, most of the intoxication reports that I read involved people who were seeing the berry for the first time and were like, oh, this looks really cool. Like, it looks like a delicious berry. Let's try it. And, you know, a lot of times it's kids because kids do that kind of thing. But it's it's also been, like, random hikers who were in an area they weren't really familiar with. And like Crow said, this is why you don't try berries that you don't know what they are. Don't try any plants that you don't know. Uh-huh. That you're not familiar with. Correct. Don't. Correct. (laughs) Proper identification of plants for foraging is extremely important. In fact, I've been seeing all sorts of like things that people have poisoned themselves on because they did poor plant identification. So if you're going to forage, make sure you absolutely are certain how to identify what you're looking for and also how to identify anything that might look similar to it. There you go. Mm -hmm. Tips from Fern. There was another folk tradition that in Bukovina, the modern territories that historic Bukovina would cover would be like parts of Romania, Moldova, and Ukraine. And there was a belief that it could make a woman more beautiful. And there was a whole process that people would go through to do this. You would have to make an offering to the nightshade. And so a woman who wanted to be more beautiful, right, would enter the a field where Belladonna grew on a Sunday in her best dress and she would be Mm -hmm. accompanied by her mother and she would bring a bag of bread, salt, and brandy. And she would dig near the plant and pull up part of its root without killing the rest of the plant, by the way. And then... Okay. In place of the root, she would put those offerings where she had taken it and then bury that as well. And then she would take the root that she had just taken and she would carry it on the top of her head as she walked home. And she would have to, while she's walking there and home, by the way, she would have to avoid all sorts of quarrels and arguments. And she would also have to avoid telling anyone what she was doing or what she had. If she did tell anyone, the spell would be broken and she wouldn't become like this super attractive hottie. If she did manage to do that entire ritual and get back home without anyone figuring it out, then I guess you just get hotter somehow. (laughs) Do you have to be hot initially? I suspect the answer to that is yes. (laughs) (laughs) There is your answer. Now, are you ready for a really fucked up Belladonna fact? Are you? No, but tell me anyway. This deals with 15th century European nobles. They would poison people Mm -hmm. in their courts with various nightshades. It came up with Belladonna, though, so I think this was probably the most popular one. Purely for their amusement. Because the people would hallucinate and a lot of times they'd think they were animals or something like that. And so these nobles would poison these people so they could watch them hallucinate because they thought it was funny. Why? Like, why am I so, why am I horrified? These are 15th century nobles. Mm-hmm. They thought everyone was like everyone that was not them was an animal. 
And even animals, why would you do that to them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, okay, it's go super fucked up. It's super Before I fucked go up. on a rant. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you for going on a rant. It's really, really fucked up. Let's move on to henbane because henbane actually has a, a lot of folklore around it because of the... Now, henbane is still very capable of killing you, but of the um, nightshades that I've talked about, it's probably the one that's the least likely to kill you. Which is good. Yes, that does not mean, though, that it's safe. Oh, okay. I do not recommend you use it. Um, There are over 20 species of henbane. And for some reason, the ones in Egypt are significantly more potent than the ones in Europe. I don't know what's going on in Egypt, but what I just said about the henbane being the least likely one to kill you does not apply in Egypt. (laughs) For some reason. uh, You're safe. Yeah, I don't know. Nature is weird. It just does things like that sometimes. So... It's got a lot of psychoactive and pharmacological effects that are the result of alkaloids that create an anticholinergic, why is this word so hard, anticholinergic mechanism of action, which blocks the function of acetylcholine, but it basically creates an altered state where you're hallucinating experiences, uh, you get delirium. It's not only doesn't make you delirious, but it's also connected with causing um, dementia. So if you have a history of nightshade use, your chances of developing dementia go up significantly, by the way. (laughs) So again, one of the reasons why you should definitely not do this. I literally do not see any positives, like any reasons why you should do this. It's all just reasons why you shouldn't. So if you still do it, honestly, I'm going to start giving you that, what was it? The award? The Darwin Award. Uh Yeah. That's what you're getting from me. So it has had a long history with traditional medicine and and using it for like stomach issues, especially where there's some sort of like spasmatic problem, like with IBS, for example, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or with colic as well. It's also been used as what's called a soporific sponge, which basically you would soak this sponge in various dangerous things. A lot of times various nightshades were used, but henbane was a particularly popular one. And then you would place it Mm -hmm. over a person's face to knock them out before surgery. So it's the same concept as dwell, but except except they're like basically smothering you with a sponge instead of making you drink ridiculous amounts of really nasty stuff until you pass out. Okay. (laughs) That's all. You know what? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to rant. Continue. You're welcome to rant because I know like you had found cases where people were buried alive <laughs> because these these nightshades are so good at knocking someone out and putting them in a coma that a lot of times people would think they were dead because they wouldn't wake up fast enough. And so they're like, ah, we must have killed them during the surgery. Let's go ahead and just bury them. And then you, whoops. Yep. And then somehow later you dig it up and you're like, oh, there are claw marks on this coffin guess they weren't dead oh my god Mm -hmm. no but what scares me is that these are medications that could kill you so you wouldn't even blame the doctors for being like i mean you know the old-timey doctors i mean you wouldn't blame them for thinking that the person may have died because Mm -hmm. the you know in between like the surgery where they use the same they use steak knives basically and uh, no disinfectants and nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and medication that could possibly kill you can you blame them for thinking you're actually dead? <laughs> I mean, I feel like surgery back in the day was just, you know, it was it was experimental. It was all experimental surgery. I, I haven't read about too many curative surgeries in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Like, C-sections were a thing in the Middle Ages, but they were used to on already dead moms. Or were they <laughs> or thought moms the that mom- were going to yeah, die to yeah. save the baby. No, I remember yeah. reading that as well. It was to save the baby when you thought there was no hope for the mom, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Here's another fun use of henbane that sometimes is still used today, by the way, although I think not legally anymore. But it used to be used in certain types of beer to add a little oh. a, a little psychedelic kick to it. <laughs> okay. Once hops became popular in beer uh, manufacturing, that use kind of fell out. But there are still some places, again, I I don't think it's legal anymore, but I did read about people who claim to still be doing this. Congratulations Mm -hmm. to those people. Mm -hmm. 
It's illegal for a reason. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> no, it is. It is with henbane because there's it's not as potent as belladonna, but it's still capable of killing a person. In order to kind of mitigate the dangers of henbane, what they would do is they would apply it topically. A lot of the preparations, the traditional preparations for henbane, would involve mixing it with some sort of fat and then rubbing it on topically. Now that is effective for a couple of reasons. It would allow you to absorb the scopolamine, mm -hmm. which is one that people often wanted, but it would kind of reduce the amount of other things that got through. For example, atropine, it can go through the skin, but not as effectively as scopolamine. And same with mm -hmm. hyosamine and some of these other ones they were trying to filter out so you would get some of the more dangerous things wouldn't pass through as much as some of the the other things that they, the useful yeah Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Well, useful, but you'd still get high. <laughs> so the idea, because henbane, it can cause hallucinations, but it's not as potent in that regard as Datura and Belladonna. And so in that preparation, you could sort of increase things that could give you safer hallucinations, so to speak. Again, when I say safer, I'm not saying that this is safe, and I recommend that you do not do this, but it, it did increase your chances of having like a safer trip, so to speak. And so this was more common. When you ingest it orally, you're more likely to get some of the more dangerous chemicals than when you, you apply it topically this way. Now, the fat that was used in these sorts of herbal magical ointments is questionable because when <laughs> when the great witch trials were happening in Europe, henbane was always a sore topic. Henbane was so associated with witchcraft that if you were found possessing henbane during certain periods of history, that alone could be cause for you to be put to death. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was just that linked with witchcraft. Okay. And so a lot of what we know about these magical ointments historically was written down and extracted from the confessions of witches under torture. And I say witches with quotation marks that you can't see, but <laughs> you know, like a lot of these people were not witches. And so they would ask like, well, what fat are you using? And if the person is like, I'm not using fat, this is like, you know, like they, they try and say they're innocent. They're like, oh no, torture them some more. And so they start to admit to like anything and everything. And what they ended up admitting to in a lot of cases and what was believed to be the case is that the fat used was from dead babies, which when you say it in modern times with the recognition that 99% of what came out during these witch trial torture sessions was absolute bullshit is probably absolute bullshit now the henbane legitimately was used in magical ointments but it's far more likely that the fat used that was mixed with the henbane was probably some sort of animal fat like lard okay see that's the thing it's like the, this these two episodes have desensitized me so much that when you say dead baby i'm like huh could have been worse <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> They're just so bad. The shit that's happening here. Anyway, after they would make this uh, magical ointment by mixing the henbane with animal fat and, and other other potent plants as well, by the way, it was usually a mixture of different things. Uh, they would then apply that mixture to areas where the skin was very thin, like the armpits, the rectum, or the vagina. So that's fun. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> now, some people say that this was done with a broom handle, meaning that you would apply it to the handle of the broom and either like rub against it or insert it. That is debated, by the way. We don't know if that's true or not, but the belief that that was the case, at the very least, is where we get the idea of witches flying on brooms. Because henbane especially, for whatever reason, gives you a sensation of flying. A lot of people talk about how they feel like they're flying on henbane, especially when it's prepared in some a way like this. And so a lot of these magical ointments would be called flying ointments or flying potions. And people would use them to get kind of like the, the sensation of flight 
<laughs> okay, okay. Going back to the association with henbane and witches, there were some wild stories, and I would count all of these as folklore because any sort of confession that came out during a witch trial is almost certainly bullshit. So, for example, there was a story of this happy couple who had recently got married and were very much in love, and they say and charged a witch with this, by the way, a woman who they called a witch, that she threw some henbane seeds in between them. And that caused them to start arguing and have like a a terrible relationship. And then this poor woman had to go on trial because this couple started fighting and they wanted someone to blame for it. Oh my, okay. Yes. Proceed. There's this account of a guy named Andres Laguna from 1545. Mm -hmm. He was a physician to Pope Julius III, and this was about a flying ointment that he confiscated from the hut of an elderly couple who were suspected of being witches. Oh no. This is a quote from what he wrote, but it says he took a jar half filled with a certain green ungent with which they were anointing themselves. In other words, just an ointment, which was composed of herbs, which are hemlock, nightshade, which probably refers to belladonna, henbane, and mandrake. Okay, okay. Now, this is the part where it stops being a quote. This is what he said, though. Summarize it. He took some of this and anointed one of his patients, who was the wife of the hangman, who had been struggling with insomnia. Now, she was struggling with insomnia because she was really jealous that her husband was cheating on her. Okay, and so she was very upset and losing sleep over this. And he's like, well, let's just take this flying ointment and rub it all over this poor woman. And she immediately passes out, according to his account. And she fell into such a deep sleep that he couldn't wake her up for 36 hours hours. Thank God they didn't bury her in those 36 hours. Yep. (laughs) When she woke up, she woke up with a grin because she had hallucinated that she had gotten revenge on her husband by cheating with someone else. Oh my god. You know what? (laughs) Did they punish her for it? I feel like they would have punished her for it. They would have been like, oh, you... (laughs) You're the one in the wrong, you woman, you. I don't have a record of her being punished for it, but it wouldn't surprise me. But I me. love this story. It's a Get wild Get your revenge, ride. girl. It's a... I know, right? Dead babies and women cheating in their sleep. What more could I possibly want? Oh, man. It's a wild ride, that story. All of your stories in this episode <laughs> are wild rides. What are you talking about? I love it. <laughs> I love it too. Okay, so there's a tendency to make a person think that they've transformed into an animal. That's one of the more common hallucinations. It's not just henbang. <laughs> Belladonna especially was also known for that. However, people think that henbang, because henbang was used a lot more frequently than belladonna, because people yeah. died less from henbane than they did belladonna. But they <laughs> there's a, a tendency for people... There's been some theories put out there that the werewolf craze which was like a subset of the the witch trials there were in some areas werewolf trials which were you know it was the same time period it's just in certain areas it seemed to be like oh this person is actually a werewolf in instead of saying like they're actually a witch and that is associated with henbane because people think like, oh, you know, this is the analysis of modern people, but they're like, oh, it makes you think that you're an animal and hallucinate. Therefore, there may be a connection between henbane use, which we know was very common among the quote unquote witches of the day. And the whole idea that it was also creating werewolves, which by the way, were also associated with black magic and all the witchcraft kind of push of the time. Did you have to kill werewolves? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, if you were found guilty of being a werewolf during that time period, it was the same as being found guilty of being a witch. You'd be executed. Absolutely. And a lot of people were, by the way. This is just like, like I said, like everything that you've heard about like the witch trials of Europe really applied to the werewolf trials. It's just kind of like a subset where people specifically, they would be accused usually of witchcraft and being a werewolf, like both of them, because they're like, you're doing all the witch things, but you're also turning into a werewolf. Yeah, because, you know, they didn't want to execute them for the wrong reasons, you know, like God forbid. So they didn't want to execute them just for being a witch. They wanted to be specific. Do you understand? 
Yes. And by the way, if you want to know more about like the werewolf trials, we did talk about this with the Peter Stump episode because he was accused of being a werewolf. So that's one specific trial of a person being accused, probably the most famous trial of someone accused of being a werewolf. And yeah, so we went into that more in that episode. So I'm not going to go too much into it now. But basically, some of it was like overzealous Catholic persecution. There were also records of people raging in animal skins in the middle of the night and if they were using henbane that does make sense because they could have been hallucinating that they were werewolves especially where i feel like nightshade hallucinations are suggestible like if you have an idea in your head and you start hallucinating on nightshades a lot of times that idea will play out in your hallucinations and so if someone has this idea that they are going to become a werewolf or that they are turning into a werewolf that could very well seep into their hallucinations. Mm -hmm. The Southern Slavs additionally believed that henbane helped you change your shape, so they would use it specifically to be able to change shape, and women would hide it under the hearthstone. There were also claims that this was just a fraudulent attempt to swindle people out of their money, like, hey, I will sell you some henbane so you can, like, turn into something else, and the person selling it would know (laughs) that it's not actually going to do that, but selling potions is always had an element of that i think okay the whole smoking of nightshades is a a thing and it applied to henbane as well and there is an experience of someone who smoked henbane in the 50s called gustav schenk he wrote about it in this book called the book of poisons in 1955 which is often miscited as being published as 1956 or 1966 but that's because of later editions that came out the original one was 1955 but he experimented on himself and he wrote down what he went through and this is what he said (laughs) my teeth were clenched and a dizzy rage took possession of me I was permeated by a peculiar sense of well-being connected with the crazy sensation that my feet were growing lighter, expanding and breaking loose from my body. Each part of my body seemed to be going off on its own, and I was seized with the fear that I was falling apart. At the same time, I experienced an intoxicating sensation of flying. That does not sound fun. That literally sounds like you are leaving your body and something is going to sucker punch it back, sucker punch your soul back into it. Like, I don't, I don't understand the appeal. I genuinely don't. I think it's just curiosity. People Mm -hmm. are just curious. They're like, oh, maybe this won't happen to me. Maybe I'll have a nice flying experience and I'll turn into a freaking, I don't know, the spirit in, in a Charles Dickens novel. Yeah, yeah, and he he did go on and say that he did not enjoy the experience because it it just got progressively worse. Imagine feeling like your body's falling apart, like literally falling apart, not just, you know, metaphorically. He's not the only one who said that, by the way. I've read that. I've read that about Datura as well, actually. But they, in the Middle Ages, they would toss the seeds on stoves in, in bathhouses to create a hallucinogenic type of sauna. That one seems particularly dangerous for me. Because, like, imagine that you are getting high on something that creates crazy hallucinations. And you're in water. <laughs> you know, like, does yeah. that... <laughs> Doesn't that sound extremely dangerous? I just feel like people are going to drown. They did say that people would just wander around and bump into each other, and they just looked really dazed and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There is... And this is, you have to count this as folklore because there's not a reliable account of this, but this is a story that has gone around for a very long time that when Cleopatra decided that she was going to take her life, one of the the ways that she considered doing it was the use of henbane. The story goes that in order to decide if she wanted to use henbane, she ordered one of her servants, actually it was more than one, she ordered some of her servants to be killed with fatal doses of henbane. And the death that she witnessed was so horrific that she decided to use the snakes instead. Okay. I know. (laughs) What I'm getting from this is that it was such a terrible choice that she decided to go for the snakes instead? Yes, she was horrified horrified by Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what she saw watching them die and she was like no i don't want to do that okay that's not how there's your answer (laughs) yeah going for snake poison and i have heard some shit about different kinds of snake poison 
uh-huh. instead of <laughs> instead of the hen vein. Awesome. <laughs> Anyone who still wants to do this is I don't know. You know what? You know what? Good luck. There is a little piece of folklore about how you can detect henbane. Like if you think that henbane has been slipped into your drink, for example. They say, and this is a legend that comes from France, that if you put the drink in a silver cup, if there's henbane Mm -hmm. in it, the cup will break, thus detecting the poison. Is there like a chemical basis for that? Like Like an actual reason? I don't think there is. I think that's just straight up wrong. Okay. But, you know, it's a nice thought. (laughs) Anyway, in Germany, they believed that henbane would attract rain and was once believed to produce sterility in both the land and the livestock. So you could use it to make your animals sterile or like to make sure that no crops grow anymore. Typically, that would be used against your enemies, not like yourself. (laughs) But it could also be used to raise storms, to strike down crops that already existed, and livestock. And these were things that they would accuse witches of. So if someone's crops died, even if they could say like, hey, the storm killed my crops, they could go out and say like, oh, this is because this witch over here was using a henbane curse and therefore she should be put to death or whatever. (laughs) Because that's how it went in those times. Okay. Okay. Now let's go further back. So when we go back to like the cults of like Dionysus and Bacchus, who were Greek and Roman versions of the same deity, there was this whole idea that, you know, they would drink a lot and there would be this sort of frenzy that would take over them and they would go into like this crazy wild party stage. To no one's surprise. Yeah. People have wondered about this because it's so closely associated with wine. But the wine of the day was not that potent. In fact, it was pretty watery (laughs) compared to like the wine that we have nowadays, not alcoholic very much at all. And so there's long been theories that they added something to the wine to sort of incite this frenzy. And one of the more popular things to suggest for this has been henbane because it will create like one, it's an upper as we talked about, and two, it's a hallucinogenic. And so it is believed that that is one of the more likely things that they put in there that would cause that effect without being lethal. Okay. There are a lot of theories about different things in the ancient Greek world or ancient Greek slash Roman world where they're like, well, this could be explained by henbane. One of the things is the Oracle of Delphi's visions. Now, it is believed that the Oracle of Delphi used some sort of hallucinogenic to create visions. And there have been all sorts of theories about this. Ethylene gas is one of them, but henbane is another. People think that it may have been some sort of henbane incense that she would breathe in to cause some hallucinations and then give super, super vague prophecies that could be interpreted so many different ways that the chances of one of them being correct was high. Okay. It is also associated with Apollo as a source of prophecy. In the story of Odysseus, his men at one point get turned into swines and go mad. And people have thought this could potentially be, if we're talking about something that could have actually happened that inspired this story, that could be henbane use. Because like we talked about, a lot of people do hallucinate that they've turned into animals. That they've turned into animals. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so it is believed that that's one possible explanation for what inspired that story. And it's always possible. You know, (laughs) they These things are so old, it's really hard to say for sure. But if you did give a bunch of people significant enough dose of henbane, they could potentially hallucinate that they were animals. And especially if one of them said like something about turning into a swine, that idea is then implanted into the heads of others. And next thing you know, they all (laughs) are having the same hallucination. You know, it can happen that way. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. This is one of my favorite ones. So when you talk about like the Greek underworld, there's the river Styx, right? That people cross to get from the world of the living to the world of the dead. Now, it is Mm -hmm. believed that henbane would be worn by the dead that wandered the Styx in the Greek underworld so that they would forget who they were before, which is fascinating because you really do kind of lose focus of who you are and get into like a really nasty drug state if you use it long enough. Because okay, okay. if you wander the sticks instead of crossing over the sticks, you're kind of fucked. You know, like you want to cross over. You don't want to... 
Of course. Be stuck wandering. Okay. So there's also this story associated with the Druids of Brittany. Now, we have talked about Brittany before. Despite the fact that the word Britain is there, it's not in Britain. <laughs> this is mm-hmm, a this mm-hmm. is an area in France and it's kind of along the coast on the the northwest Yeah, Northwestern. Sorry, I had to think about my directions for a second. Part of France. And the Druidic culture, they kind of were all over Europe. And then as the Romans advanced, they got further and further and further back, pressed further and back. And Brittany ended up the last area on continental Europe where they were. And then the remaining people ended up in actual UK. And so this area of France, there is a a legend, an ancient legend that may be associated with Henbane. This story comes from the writings of Strabo, who was a Greek geographer, philosopher, and historian, and he lived in Asia Minor during the transitional period of the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire. He lived like 64-63 BC to maybe 24 AD. We believe that was his lifespan. He wrote about a man called Poseidonius of Rhodes who spent time among the Celts in the early part of the first century BC. And Strabo tells of this community of women who were, he referred to them as devotees of a secret cult of Dionysus. Now, we're talking about Celts here, not Greeks or Romans. And so it probably was not (laughs) Dionysus. It was probably some sort of Celtic deity that reminded him of Dionysus. In other words, probably something associated with the same kind of like drunkenness, revelry and friends, you know, like the drunken frenzy, so to speak, that particular cult was known for. He says these women lived on a small island not far from the mouth of the river Loire. And Mm -hmm. No men were allowed there. Yeah, and they were said to be oracles. So it is believed that they use some sort of drug in order to reach this frenzy, in order to be able to access their oracular powers, so to speak. And henbane is one that has been suggested for this as well. So there is a long history of henbane and being able to see the future But of course, from a modern perspective, we know what is actually happening (laughs) is you're just hallucinating. I've noticed this tendency for anything that causes hallucinations to become associated with one, fortune telling, future telling, and two, being able to contact the dead. Okay, which is not the first time this has popped up in this story. No. Like in this episode. Correct. It's a running theme, and it's a running theme not just with Henbane and Belladonna, but also with Datura and Mandrake and pretty much anything that can cause you to hallucinate. You know, I I think like in the ancient world, when you don't have an explanation for why you're suddenly seeing your dead ancestors or why you are seeing things that you don't understand, to assume that that is some sort of like magical thing that is giving you future visions or, you know, things that you need to be aware of because you don't understand what's happening inside of you that you can suddenly see things that are impossible. Yeah. That's basically what I had for like Henbane and Belladonna. Again, don't mess around with these. How the hell did you make this episode crazier than the last one? It's the same family of plants. Oh my god. Not that I didn't enjoy every single minute of it. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, there it is the same family of plants. You're absolutely right. And a lot of these plants have the same psychotropic alkaloids <laughs> in varying quantities, you know, from one plant to another, but the overall effects described are often very similar. But when we talked about the effects last episode, we were talking about a new world take on it, like how the indigenous people of the Americas used and saw it. And then on this one, we were talking about the old world perspective. The old world take. Yeah. Yeah. And it is interesting because it is a hugely different perspective on kind of the same experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. It's, it's interesting to me because it just shows you how different cultures can interpret the same things in such incredibly different ways. And it's the same family of plants, but depending on where each of them grows, you get different interpretations of it. Of like, you know, the hallucinations and the experience and the poison. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, cults. no. 
it's fascinating to me that you know in the new world take like with the chumash and whatever they they saw it as a way to connect to their ancestors and their spirit guardians who would lead them and guide them through life and the same way that a lot of people would use prayer and fasting in the the old world you know <laughs> and that's how they used detura whereas when we look at the old world ones one we do get a lot of like connecting to the ability to tell the future but there's just so much of this connection with oh this is evil this is witchcraft and it's something that needs to be punished and destroyed and looked down on and people who are using it are evil uh, whereas that was not really how it was interpreted for the most part in the new world there was some belief that people could become evil sorcerers if they abused it but okay that was only if you abused it you know <laughs> anyway it's just interesting the juxtaposition of the way these two things are seen even though the experiences people had with them were very similar any thoughts you want to add crow i think it's interesting seeing how it evolved like from what people used to use old medicines for and where it's gotten us now has always been really fucking interesting and also the cults i really i'm not talking about uh, manson i'm just talking about all of the you know the greek and the celtic and the manson cults it was really interesting to see how these were employed there yeah yeah and it does with the manson one in particular i have no doubt that charlie manson used it to manipulate people but you do wonder like if you take the detura away from that the manson family do you get a different outcome you know like was that enough of what he used to control and manipulate them that things are different then or is it just the same either way and it's one of those questions we can never know the answer to but it's interesting to think about it's like when we talk about head trauma Mm -hmm. and we're like, oh, is the head trauma the reason for the person becoming a serial killer or not? Yeah, and there's no way to know, right? There's no way to really be certain. But yeah. it certainly didn't help the situation. <laughs> that I'm certain of. It definitely. My final message is don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> yeah, please don't, especially not these. Yeah, the ones we've talked about, Belladonna, Mandrake, Datora, Henbane, these are all ones that have absolutely claimed lives and you do not want yep. to be part of that statistic in the worst ways possible too anyway crow do you want to wrap things up and tell us where they can find us okay if you enjoyed this episode feel free to give us a follow we're available on spotify apple Podcasts, amazon music or wherever you get your podcasts and if you really enjoyed this episode then feel free to leave us a review because we would love to hear what you think we're also on social social media there's instagram twitter tumblr youtube and we've got an email if you want to tell us about the crazy happenings in your life but until then this is crow and this is fern signing off bye